That's an incredible one in foreign is it? I think it's in foreign correspondent where you have a thing that um, you said you were surprised no one ever asked you how you did it or why technical people didn't because it's oh, impossible. Yes, that, was a, that was a scene where an airplane, a passenger, a, a clipper, you remember the clippers, mm -hmm. uh, was uh, being shot at during the war and was diving toward the ocean. And uh, we were in the cockpit with the pilot and co-pilot and without any cuts at all, the plane dives right to the ocean, hits the water, and the water comes in from the ocean over the pilot and co-pilot, and possibly the camera. And not a soul questioned it. How you did that they in one continuous shot? What happened to the camera crew or anything? Did they all drown and were never seen again? They just took it for granted. Maybe knowing you, they thought they probably did. And that, uh, Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Perhaps when we come back from this message, you'll reveal how you did that. Hi everybody, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome back to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. This is the show where Mike and I watch movies separately and talk about them on the podcast for the first time. This week, we're doing a pick that, I guess it's a Mike pick, so I guess you'll go first, but this is Foreign Correspondent, the 1940 film by Alfred Hitchcock with a screenplay by Charles Bennett and Joan Harrison. Um, Bennett, who also adapted 39 Steps, and Joan Harrison did um, Suspicion and did Rebecca. She adapted those. So we're going to be talking about this movie, and, and I know that in part one, where we always talk about our overall take upon the film, we'll get into that. But of course, another question we have to ask is, why aren't more people talking about this movie? Mike, what's your, what's your take? That's, that, that is my take. Uh, we, I was watching it with my wife just because we had never, we'd never seen it before. We we're just watching Hitchcock movies. You know, I, I've been studying film with you for like the past 17, 18 years. <laughs> that movie's never even come up in conversation. We've never Nobody's even alluded ever, to it. Nobody's ever asked you, hey, you seen Foreign Correspondent? It's so good. It's and it's it's got all the characteristic Hitchcock trademarks. I mean, he's all he's all over this movie. And I don't know if it gets labeled as a World War II propaganda film. I don't know if it falls under some other kind of heading, but it's a head scratcher to me why I didn't encounter it sooner and why no one else is talking about it. Me too. I sat there the whole time over the weekend watching it like you did for the first time saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've seen Topaz, but not this. I've seen The Trouble with Harry, but not this. And I, and I, I, I always knew I meant to get to it, but I would have gotten to this a lot sooner. It's almost like, it, you know what it was like? It was like when you find out, um, there's like when you watch the director's cut of a movie on, on a Blu-ray or something, those, th those extra scenes usually aren't any good. But this was like finding a great director's cut of an entire movie. It's what it is, is it. it it sounds by our description of it, like it's some kind of deep cut and we just like Hitchcock. This is easily top 12 best movie he yeah. ever made. And that's why this is so crazy. You could put this in front of somebody who doesn't care about Hitchcock or doesn't really care about movies, but it's really, really great. You know, it occurred to me. It's also the other thing I love about it. It's like a Hitchcock movie directed, co-directed by Howard Hawks, like how fast it is and, and the spirit of fun and, you know, how good Robert Benchley, who's in the movie and wrote, wrote a bunch of the dialogue. Um, it, it, it's such a it's such a joyful espionage film. This isn't my moment, but it has the classic North by Northwest uh, thing where the guy uh, climbs out of the 
window in his yes. underwear and ends up in somebody else's room. Now that's a little bit more for the plot, you know, but um, that some of, some of the locations, right. That the uh, changing of the name uh, at the beginning, it's, it's, it's pretty much, it seems like a proto North by Northwest, but it's also just as good as North by Northwest. Which is also, of course, that makes me think of an analogy. Here's a little, they don't have these on the SAT anymore, but remember the analogy section? Here's my analogy for this. Goodfellas is to casino as the 39 steps is the foreign correspondent. That's because great. Because that's the chain, right? It's 39 steps, foreign correspondent, and North by Northwest. It's the same movie. And I, and I read up a little on it, and I thought it was really interesting. The producer, Walter Wagner, so Hitchcock fought with David O. Selznick a lot. He gets, he gets out of Selznick. Um, Walter Wagner bought the rights to a book by this guy, Vincent Sheehan, who was an actual correspondent in the 20s and 30s. And he said, this would make a good movie. And he said, let's, and he got Hitchcock to make it. And Hitchcock, of course, turned it into, you know, the 39 steps part two. His idea was the windmill, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I just think it's, it's so much fun. And it's such a great, it's such a great representative example of his whole career. Well, it's, it's funny. It's much yes. funnier than, I mean, North by Northwest and the little repartee that um, Cary Grant has with his mom. That's kind of funny, yeah. but this is funnier than North by Northwest and the 39 steps put together. All right. In part two, we'll talk about our moment. Okay. Welcome back. So in part two, of course, we're talking about our, our favorite moments or the moments that are indicative of the themes of the film as a whole. Dan, why don't you go first? My moment is that backwards windmill I mentioned in part one. So I just, first of all, I just love it. I just, I just love the whole idea that Hitchcock thought of that. Uh, you know, so we're going to make the, that's going to be a signal because you could watch this movie and not know that. And that's a great, great surprise. I love that it's a signal. Um, and I know we're in Holland, but it certainly cannot, you can't help but thinking about Don Quixote, you know, and about Joel McRae out there tilting at windmills until he finds out that there really are giants and ogres and that he's not just tilting at windmills. So that's kind of fun. But what's so cool about it is that it's, and I don't want to overthink this film, but what's neat about it is that the windmill, it's a signal, right? And it's right in broad daylight. It's like the purloin letter. It's right in front of you and you can't see it. You can't see it. You could watch movies of windmills all day long. You would never get that one was going backwards. It's in broad daylight. So it's an inversion, right? And I think that's, that happens all throughout the film, right? You, you mentioned before he's out going in through the window. You don't, you don't enter unless you're in a movie, right? Um, his name, his real name is Johnny Jones and he becomes Holly Haverstock. So, so that's an inversion, right? He's, he's like the, the fast talking American and he, he's supposed to become like the foreign correspondent. Um, you know, he's, a re, he's supposed to be a reporter but he has to become a spy. Um, you know, the leader of the peace movement turns out to be, you know, like, you know, he's looking for the lost ark along with the, the other guys and Raiders, you know, um, Van Meer is dead. No, Van Meer is really alive. So, and of course the biggest one of these is the guy that plays Chris Kringle in Miracle on 34th street tries to push you off of a tower on the top of a cathedral. Like, you know, that's, that's, that's uh, Chris Kringle, Edmund Gwynn. So it's kind of fun that, that it's, that's a great Hitchcock trope is that you enter a world, you get dropped like a little yellow Google map guy into this universe where everything is flipped around. Like nothing's like it's supposed to be. And it's fun watching him work through that just like in 39 steps. And just like in North by Northwest. My favorite Hitchcock joke we, I, I also, as part of watching Foreign Correspondent, I watched The Lady Vanishes first. Sure. And my favorite recurring theme, well, there's two of them. The first one is uh, when someone knows something's wrong, but there's, a, but there's an entire cons conspiracy at work to prove that that, to just gaslight that person, prove, right. prove that they're crazy, which, it, which is just frustrating. And if you're, if you're just starting out in your career trying to write a film, uh, that is a device that you want to go to because the way that it makes viewers feel uh, is is unforgettable. 
but this has one of my favorite Hitchcock tropes in it, which is that um, I don't know if this is just a 40s thing or it's a Hitchcock thing. But uh, if you're an American and you're thinking about how the Brits are portrayed on screen, I don't know what adjective you would come up with. But in 2022, it's probably something like fancy. Right. But for some reason in 1940, it's just unbelievably unimpressed. So they're standing there with all the Dutch police and the murderers disappeared. The guy goes, uh, rough show, old boy. And that's, I don't know why every British character has to do that in every Hitchcock movie, but I, I can't get enough of it. Well, you know, what's funny before I ask you about your moment, you just reminded me. So that whole idea that like, you know, like uh, Bob Dylan said, something is happening, but you don't know what it is. I mean, that's what happens to Robert's not in the 39 steps until the guy holds up his missing finger. And that's what until Carrie Grant figures out what's going on with James Mason. You know, those are done for those three films you know, do it for like, kind of like a comic effect. He was also great at doing that with sinister things like, in um, like uh, the man who knew too much. Like when, when Jimmy Stewart's kid gets kidnapped, like then he knows something's going on, but it's really sinister. And of course, one of the films that both you and I love, which is on the top of our Twitter feed at one five MN film, maybe the ultimate example of a movie where something's going on and we can't figure it out. It's terrifying is Rosemary's baby. So it's like the Rosemary's baby effect, right? It's so good. And, but what I love, and I think I said it in our episode, but but what I love about Hitchcock is he knows right when to let you in on the joke. Yeah. Right. So it, it's it's not the turn of the screw. It starts well, out like the turn in, of right. the screw, but but he lets you in so that you know you're not crazy. And it, the, the emotional relief from that, I think, is something that he leverages, I would say, 50 to 60 percent of the way through his films. OK, so what's your moment? OK, so my moment is when uh, Stephen Fisher writes the note. And the guy, the British guy opens it up outside the house and it, you think it's the address uh, to where the prisoner is being held. But yeah. it just says, I recognize my daughter's car coming down the driveway. And that kind of ties in to what we're saying, because because first of all, that's a great gag. And even great though gag. it's done by the villain, it's it's done in an amusing way. You laugh when he reads it. You laugh when he when he reads it. And it's read out loud in, in such a way that it. it dispels the tension but it replaces it with something pleasant and and it's because with the character of Stephen Fisher there's there's an emotional tightrope that has to be walked because of what ultimately happens I'm sure we'll talk about this in part three he's got to be sinister it's got to be clear who he's working for but he can't be so emotionally or dramatically overblown that you wouldn't feel sympathy for him and the love that he feels for his daughter has to be real it can't be like other kinds of um, villainous fathers uh, who love their children, right? You can't make Darth Vader out of him <laughs> because it it takes all the punch out of his conversation with her later. And so that's a strange moment of tenderness where yeah. you find out that he's a secret Nazi who's having somebody interrogated, but he recognizes his, his daughter's wheels on the driveway and that she's not been kidnapped. And so what you actually experience is not just amusement in his cleverness, you experience his emotional relief that his kid is home. And it's it's very delicate. It's it's a very complicated moment, but it's punctuated by laughter, which I I think is how the movie gets away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Delicate's a perfect word for it too. That's a great that's a great word to describe the gag. All right, we'll talk about that ending in part three. Okay, so in part three we talk about the title or the ending or the key takeaways, but Dan. I think you watched a feature on the special effects. I want to talk about that for a second. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. This That's on the Criterion channel, which we both have. We both love. It's, it's a great thing. If you do not have the Criterion channel, what are you waiting for? You got to get it. Um, here's what I love about this movie and about the effects. I learned, you know, this cost 
one and a half million dollars to make. It was his most expensive movie if you scale everything. This was Hitchcock's most expensive movie. And it's Go Big or Go Home. And what I love about it is that he does this in different ways throughout his career. Like Psycho is Go Big or Go Home in one way, right? And, and Rope is Go Big or Go Home in one way, like with a technical trick, right? The Birds is the same kind of thing, right? Um, we can go through his whole career. This is him. This is his like Mission Impossible. This is his diehard. He goes, goes big and goes home. Um, like, for example, I don't know if you know this. If you see the, the featurette on the Criterion channel, that square in Amsterdam where the fake Van Meer gets killed when he doesn't recognize him in the beginning. That's great. Um, that was 10 acres. They diverted the Colorado river because of the rain machines and, and to, they had to make these new pipelines. Like it was, it was crazy, right? Um, they had to build like a little ground sewer for the fake rain. And if you watch this featurette on the, on the criterion channel, you get a long thing about how the plane crash was done. Now, I didn't watch it till after I saw the film. I think that plane crash is so great. It's so harrowing. But the pilot, when the water comes through the, the cockpit, those guys are sitting there and there was a, a rear projection screen in front of them. We all know what that is, right? But behind it, he had giant slides that you'd see in a playground and, and tanks of water that held like thousands of gallons of water. And he just released them at the same time and they burst through the screen and like really did like surprise like it's it's exactly what you see there and i think the, all the stuff with the wing falling apart is great i just think i that is so spectacular now you don't need it in the film you could have you could you can get rid of these people and and have you know um her father die in a bunch of other ways but what a spectacular set piece i think his mission impossible is a very apt description i hadn't thought of it like that but it's it's perfect i think also using that okay we see a lot of films today whose special effects budget, you know, who like lunch for the special effects budget is one and a half million dollars. <laughs> right. Okay. But, but for the period, for the time at which sure. it was made that that's a hefty spend, but those special effects are not always used to create an emotional poignancy. Yeah. And so I think what's really interesting is using that plane crash in order to release the delicate tension that we were just kind of talking about in my moment with Dr. Fisher, such that he doesn't necessarily die a villain. In some ways, he confesses what he did. He feels bad about it. And then he sacrifices himself. But but that doesn't mean, but it's not, it's not a full atonement, right? Because the ending of the film won't let it be. They're still going to tell the whole story. And in fact, she comes forward and says, no, I know now yeah. who my father was. Tell the whole story. And so it doesn't necessarily set the equation to zero, but I think it complicates it in an interesting way so that you're not really sure where you, where you fit with Dr. Fisher. He doesn't melt like the Nazis at the end of Raiders. And I love the little foxes and Herbert Marshall who plays Dr. Fisher is, is the hero in some ways of, of the little foxes. And he dies a very gruesome and dramatic death in that movie as well. I love the plane crash. And I also love the other ending, which Ben Hecht, which they tacked on after the film was over, he's going to tell the story. But of course, the, you know, this movie was made right at, you know, right when it was about to happen. So at the very end, when he's, when Joel McRae is giving that speech and the lights are going out, you know, he says, um, you know, darkness is coming to London. You can hear the bombs falling. It's too late to do, do anything. Else. Hello, America. Hang on, hang on to your lights. They're the only lights left in the world. I found that very moving when you consider like when this film was made, when it came out, what the original audience must've been thinking as they saw it. Yeah, not just financially and not just in terms of Hitchcock's career, this movie plays for keeps. Yeah, it does. It really does. So thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about Ford Correspondent. You have to see it if you haven't seen it already. Um, and even if we spoiled a couple of things, it's still totally worth watching. 
You could follow us on Twitter at 15MANFilm. You could email us at 15MinuteFilmFanatics, spelled out, uh, at Gmail. And you could also follow us now on Letterboxd. Letterboxd. And you could see all the movies we've watched, all the movies we like over the, over the last few years. And we also link uh, our episodes on there as well. So thank you, everybody. Please leave us a review if you're so inclined. Let us know what movies you want us to do. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.